What's up, everybody? Welcome to the All Sooners podcast. Boy, oh boy, we did it. It's Wednesday, August 16th, and this is episode 200. And do we have a celebration planned for you? 200 episodes. Big party today. Man, we got singers and we got dancers. We got live animals. Okay, so I'm totally messing with you. We have uh, we have none of that. We have What we have is one episode that's going to sound a lot like the first 199, because we're all business here. At the All Sooners Podcast, we are all business, bringing you the same professional, high-quality content that you've come to know and expect from the, from the All Sooners Podcast, first 199 episodes. So, Ryan, he's over in more. I'm John. I'm in Tulsa. Guys, later on, we got Randall Sweet coming in to talk about OU recruiting. He was in Lee's Summit on Monday. You're going to want to hear what all he witnessed from Williams Winery. Uh, we got a big weekend coming up in high school football recruiting. Um, Williams Winery has a scrimmage tomorrow about two miles from my house, so you know I'm going to be there. Got some big decommit news, plus Emmett Jones is doing it again. Stick around for all that stuff in the third segment, but we are in segment one right now, Ryan. So let's start at the top. Another open practice. Sooners are, what, 17 days from kickoff? It's, yes. Uh, it's on us it feels like it's literally on us yeah it's uh we're really close next week is week zero so it doesn't apply to oklahoma but like in two saturdays navy and notre dame will be on your television stuff like that and and uh you could feel the intensity not in the open practice viewing that we were at but you know that things are kicking up when oklahoma had a scrimmage last saturday the monday practice viewing was light on content for you guys, mainly because the Sooners are basically going through a walkthrough. They had a scrimmage Saturday. They're scrimmaging today on Wednesday as we record this. They're going to have Brentman will set a partial, like situational scrimmage later in the week. So Oklahoma's loading up on the live reps, which means that uh, the, the biggest things I think, John, from the open practice viewing is R. Mason Thomas, who was in a boot last week because he got rolled up on. Uh, I stood right by R. Mason Thomas and a member of the training staff as it was believed to be a sprained ankle. He was going through a bunch of mobility exercises. And, John, he was sitting over there at, at the end of every period. He turned to the trainer, can I go? Can I go back in? Can I go back in? Which means that he was feeling good for the p- portion that we were there for. The trainers were holding him out, which seemed to be very, very, very much just precautionary. It's kind of a walkthrough day. Why would you risk getting that thing hurt when you've got scrimmages on Wednesday, partial scrimmage? But uh, other than that, Dalen Smothers back at practice. Gavin Sawchuk was at practice. And then we got to talk to a whole host of Sooners on Monday and Tuesday after practice. Yeah, we've been busy at All Sooners, man. We've been posting all the videos, all the interviews, all the practice videos, uh, highlights and whatnot. So uh, check that out, allsooners.com. Click on the football tab if you want to expedite and just scroll right down because it's all right there. Um, I asked Brent Venables about Dalen Smothers specifically. Asked him about the freshmen and then I, the freshman running backs. And he said, yeah, they're doing great. I asked him specifically about Smothers. Did he need a break? And he said, nothing out of the ordinary, nothing unusual there. So without confirming that he took a couple days off and apparently reportedly flew home, he basically confirmed that he needed a couple days off and apparently reportedly flew home. So, But he's back. He's been back the last couple of weeks, um, most of the last two weeks, I think, number seven out there with the running backs and – DeMarco Murray was uh, was give, was encouraging him, giving him some uh, you know pats on the back and stuff like that. Ryan, let's back it up a little bit. Uh, coaches poll came out last week. OU was number nineteen, 
the AP poll came out Monday. OU was number 20. Okay. That's almost exactly where they were, Ryan, in 2000. When a young defensive coordinator was just getting started in his second season as a head coach, if you look at the history, actually OU was number 19 in the AP poll that year and 20 in the coaches poll. Those are flip-flop this year. So eight, uh, 19 in the AP poll, no, 19 in 20, 19 in the co- coaches poll and 20 in the writers poll. Nailed it. Yeah. Ryan, am I right about this? Are we, are, are we to put history and mathematics together and tells us, gives us an insight that OU is going to win their eighth national championship this year? I'm going to go out on a huge limb, Hoob. You ready? Everybody buckle up. <laughs> no. <laughs> if you saw what Georgia's cooking on the lines of scrimmage, yeah. uh, Alabama, what they've got on the lines of scrimmage, no. But um, I think it shows, first off, the brand that Oklahoma has. And secondly, I think the respect that a lot of coaches and uh, media members have for Brent Venables across the country that a six and seven football team that's losing its top wide receiver, its top running back, its top tight end, um, that, that's losing a corner that was kind of the only ball hawk on the entire defense last year. That group was put into a top 20 by both the coaches and the AP, largely off of a performance in the Cheez-It Bowl and Oklahoma and Brent Venables. Just because if you just look at it, we what's been so interesting about the offseason is there are so many questions up and down, and I think that there's spots we feel good about. We've heard great things about the offensive line in this past week, John. There's a lot of excitement for the the defense and everything, but I was talking with Eddie Radosovich on the, the morning show. If Oklahoma improves 40 spots defensively in total defense, a huge jump. You know where that would put them, John? 82. In the 80s. <laughs> that is how bad it was on one side of the ball last year. And so um, a lot of respect, yes. We've covered the schedule is on paper really soft. It, it really broke Oklahoma's direction as it pertains to the Big 12 slate, all that stuff. It, it is great and very fun to do all the history. That's why we have history, right? You study it, so when it repeats, you can point out all the things, all that stuff. Uh, but college football was a little different in 2000 than it is in 2023. And I think for Oklahoma and their sanity – Maybe just win 10 games, win nine games, score a point against Texas. It all should be like boxes to be ticked ahead of worrying about if a team coming off of a first-year defensive coordinator as a head coach with a left-handed quarterback is going to go Miami and win a national title. Left-handed quarterback, are you not following the tea leaves here? Come on. (laughs) My fault, my fault. Uh, I'm gonna go find. Uh, I'm gonna go find my uh, my guy who knows Vegas, and I'm gonna get a few sawbucks down on uh, on Oklahoma to win the national championship. All they got to do is stay completely healthy every game, and then play almost perfect, or come up with some really clutch plays late in games that they're on the road. That's all they got to do. That's all they got to do, and they'll be 12 and 0, 13 and 0, 14 and 0, 15 and 0, 15 and 0. Right? Look, at it, look at it. Just pop pop it off. Make it happen. I mean, Venables, I've just laid out the entire scenario. Like, you don't have to pay me anything. Just stay healthy and play great. Don't care how good Georgia is, right? Wait, maybe TCU can have something to say about that. Let's get to some practice observations, Ryan. Uh, you did those on uh, Monday. And, you know, we get to watch the first usually 40 minutes or so of practice. Practice on Monday was – 
limited to about 20, 25. So we had to kind of hustle around the field and get our photos and get our videos and all that stuff. But uh, what uh, what did you come away with? What uh, observations, takeaways did you come away with from the last, most recent, and I think final open practice? Yeah, I've, I've spent a ton of time watching defensive backs and linebackers and running backs and all that stuff through the first two. So I parked my happy self by the offensive line and the defensive line. That's where I got to kind of really take in uh, everything going on with Armies and Thomas that I talked about earlier. And, and the thing that just kind of stood out to me was – um, a couple of things, Ethan down, still working really hard on some hand placement and stuff like that. And I, I think you can, it, it's, it's easy to forget that for all of the preseason plaudits that he's kind of had the watch list stuff and all that, that he's still just a third year player, right? Second year in this defense. And he's still working on the ins and outs. It's a lot different when you watch like a Rondell Bothroyd go through some of that stuff and his hand placements precise and all that. Cause he's a veteran veteran player. And then the flip side of that was, getting to see P.J. Adebore and all the work that they're trying to do to get him up and running. And he was getting important reps kind of in the individual drills. And then the other thing I noticed was Bill Beanbow was – Bill Beanbow's never quiet. Bill Beanbow uh, coaches as hard as anybody. But it was a lot different from the first two practice periods that we were out there for, a, a little bit less of um, just all the – this, that, this, that. And I think that that represents a group that has had a pretty good bit of fall camp thus far. And and Bill Beanbow understanding that, again, by all accounts, it sounds like they had a really, really good scrimmage on Saturday and, and are building toward continuing to try to carry that momentum through so that the offensive line can, again, be a strength, the most consistent part of the offense like it kind of was last year. Yeah, you know, I noticed that uh, Bill Beanbow was a little bit toned down as well. And my reference to DeMarco Murray earlier, a little bit more toned down. Um Coming off a scrimmage, maybe that's kind of the way you you approach it is you coach them hard on that Saturday scrimmage and then you come back Monday morning and uh, kind of ease them into it a little bit. Guys are beat up. Guys are tired. They're at this point in the camp. They're in that kind of tipping point of preseason training camp where they're past the halfway point. I guess they're about 10 practices in now. They look up and they've still got two weeks to go. So you don't want to grind them down into the dust, right? You just want to, you want to drive them hard, but not too hard. So maybe that's where the we're seeing some changes in, in some of the coaching styles. Um, Saturday scrimmage, 127 plays. I think Brent Venable said 114 snaps and uh, 13 special teams plays. So they went for a long time. That's a couple hours. Uh, he said no major injuries, uh, quote, relatively healthy is the way he phrased it. Um, so we saw a couple of guys in addition to our Mason Thomas getting some ankle treatment. We saw a couple of guys added to the stationary bike regiment out there. They put them like the, I don't know if you guys have seen it, but on the far side of the field, there's these tents and underneath the tents, there's these uh, stationary bikes and other uh, modalities that they train on and kind of just keep them loose, trying to stay in shape as much as they can when they're banged up. A couple of things we heard Ryan uh, and I'll just from uh, this was from the podcast, the uh, Gay Bikert and uh, Teddy Lehman podcast, um, Oklahoma Breakdown. Uh, Andrell Anthony, who we have a story coming on the website in about 45 minutes. Andrell Anthony had a big day, caught two long touchdowns. Uh, Nick Anderson caught three touchdowns against the twos, the two defense. So Venable said it was good on good. It was ones versus ones, twos versus twos. So Nick Anderson was having some success against the backup corners and safeties. 
Um, Grayson Halton scored a defensive touchdown after th- having three sacks in the in the red white game. I thought that that's uh, a, certainly a big development. He's he's a guy that might develop into a big play type of guy. Uh, Brent said several times, far from perfect, long way to go. Long way to go, far from perfect. He said that on Monday several times. But he also noted that it's only mid-August. There's still a long way to go on the calendar. So they, they'll get there. Ted Roof, on the other hand, said, it is and it isn't. He said, it feels like a long time, but you look up and we're now just over two weeks to, to kick off. So uh, I love how Venables kind of phrased it from the scrimmage. He said, you can be mad at both sides or happy with both sides. That's a great thing. Incredibly competitive, all good on good work. So another scrimmage today. We didn't see much out of the uh, OU Twitter account yet, but uh, Brent Venables is out there giving the guys a pep talk beforehand. Uh, and I guess they're going to have a half scrimmage, like you said, later on in camp. So what do you think they want to accomplish, Ryan, over the next couple of weeks? I, I think that the big thing is regardless of who it is, if it's Andrew Anthony, which sounds like he's really come on strong. Nick Anderson sounds like he's having a really strong camp as well. But it's a question I kind of asked Jeff Levy last week. I guess I didn't kind of ask it. I did ask it. Um, how important, how crucial is it to not just find those guys, but build some chemistry with Dylan Gabriel and your wide receivers early on that way through Arkansas State, SMU, Tulsa, there's just not miscues and stuff like that. They've got a familiarity. That's something that's kind of an ongoing process, I think. And and then I, I still feel like that defensively, they, they want to figure out who's your corner opposite of Woody Washington. What's your cheetah rotation going to look like? Really feels like there's going to be a, a legitimate rotation there when you kind of pair Desan McCullough, not been asked to do the coverage stuff at the collegiate level. Reggie Pearson, that's a guy that we know can hit, come up, play the run. Talked to Peyton Bowen for about 15 minutes on Tuesday. That's a guy that's being moved all around. And the way that he just went through and broke down all of his responsibilities and various stuff, you can see why Brett Venables has said over and over again, the football part of it, the scheme part of it comes easy to him. Uh, Justin Harrington in that group as well. Like I I think that's all stuff that they're really trying to, to figure out and work on as well as that honing in that defensive line rotation. Uh, because it kind of feels like Savion Bird's come on at left guard, and, and based off the reviews from the offensive line, that sounds like a unit that was good. We know they love uh, Javante Barnes, Gavin Sachuk, Marcus Major. We've heard some good stuff about Caleb Hicks. Gabriel's the quarterback. Stogner's the only tight end with a pulse on campus, it sounds like, based off some of the reviews from camp as well. So it, it feels like defensive line, that other corner spot, is Reggie Pearson going to lock down the other safety spot next to Billy Bowman? That feels like some of the big questions here over the next couple of weeks, as well as what can that linebacker rotation look like? If you asked me today, it'd be Stutzman and Kanick at the middle of that. Mm -hmm. But can Kip Lewis come on to a point where Danny Stutzman doesn't have to play 100% of the snaps? Is Kobe McKenzie and Connor Neer going to be rotating heavily with Kanick, or is he kind of cemented himself as a a starter that's going to play a ton of snaps? I think that's all the stuff they're looking at through the rest of, you know, this scrimmage and, and the rest of camp. Yeah. I'll, I'll simplify um, the cheetah position for you. The cheetah position, I think we're going to see some of those different guys that you mentioned when they play somebody heavy, like Kansas state, uh, Iowa state, we'll probably see more Desan McCulloch, right. Uh, when they play somebody that's not so heavy, or maybe when they play somebody that g- switches back and forth, is capable of being versatile and jumping back and forth, we might see more Justin Harrington. 
uh, based on the scheme and the personal, you know, they're coming out in 22 personnel or 11 personnel. Uh, if they come, if they play somebody, what you would call, if we're calling it heavy on one side, we'll call it light on the other. Somebody with a, a like a Texas Tech, right, comes out and wants to run the, the the spread, four wide receivers or five wide receivers. I think you'll see one of those safeties, um, whether it's Peyton Bowen as a true freshman or the former Texas Tech safety himself, uh, Reggie Pearson. Those guys will play that position as a more of a nickel safety. So you're going to have an extra linebacker or an extra safety. Because those guys don't look the same. They don't play the same position. They don't do the same things, but that's the position they're calling it is going to be Cheetah. So if that simplifies things. And I tried to get um, Ted Roof to talk about the other cornerback position. He said Woody Washington is doing outstanding, having yeah. a great camp. He's you know expressing leadership and leading those other young guys. But who are the other young guys? He said, "Right now, it's uh, neck and neck, and there's, there's, it's, it's everybody." I said, "Is it the two guys that we keep hearing about, Josiah Wagner and Gentry Williams, or is it like five guys?" And he goes, "It's all of them." So he wouldn't give any uh, indication as to who's doing what in at that other cornerback position, but sounds like it's all of them. Yeah, it's uh, feels like that's kind of the things that the coaching staff's been a little protective of yeah. the the positions that we don't know, like that they. The guys that are going to be starters, they've had no problem waxing poetic about. The guys that haven't, they've been a little bit more cagey. So interesting to see how that plays out. Uh, I would bet it's Gentry. Oh, and also before anyone comments anything, we know Oklahoma does not play Kansas State or Texas Tech or Baylor this year on the schedule. We've done it a million times. That was all for example. So examples. you'll be in the YouTube comments. We love the YouTube comments. But I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what kind of offense Cincinnati's going to run. Right. I don't know if they're going yeah. to be or if they're going to come out fast or, or what they're going to try to do. Same thing with BYU. BYU is probably going to look heavy. They got a lot of tight ends and they run big running backs. But yeah, in terms of uh, I wish I wish Reggie Pearson could get to play against Texas Tech. That's a storyline I want to follow and it's not going to happen. Maybe Big 12 championship game. I read today. I think it was Shout athletic. who's your dark horse in the in the Big 12 or something like that. Stuart Mandel said Texas Tech could be that TCU type team this year. I'm like, Texas Tech. OK. All right. I guess he's going off of veteran, veteran quarterback, high flying, attack, all that stuff. I, I think Texas Tech could be really good, but I, I don't. I feel like it's disrespectful to the kind of season that TCU had last year for everyone to just start labeling who's going to be the TCU. I'm just like, you. There's dark horses and there's teams that come from nowhere and go to the national championship game and beat Michigan. You know what I mean? Like, like I. I feel like we can have both things exist and we could acknowledge that TCU were just incredible last season, yeah. but we're, we're not going to have another TCU this year. I don't see yeah. maybe Oklahoma is this year's TCU, you know, <laughs> uh, noted dark horse, the Oklahoma Sooners who have... to the opening segment. Yes. Yeah. So it, it'll be left-handed quarterback, make it happen. No, uh, I, I think that uh, I can't wait for Dylan Gabriel to lead t- Tennessee back to the promised land in 30 years. Um, anyway, uh, <laughs> I just – I think one of the storylines, though, that is going to start drumming up is – we talk about the cheetah. This doesn't really pertain to the other corner spot, but Peyton Bowen's a guy that just made plays wherever he was put in high school. Like, if you go and watch his huddle, it's absurd. It's interceptions. Mm-hmm. It's coming up to the run game to make tackles. It's reading plays. It's kick returns. It's all of that. And – the fact that he says he's been moved around to five different positions. So I would imagine that's both safety spots and a couple different versions of the cheetah, um, some linebacker work that goes with the cheetah. 
I think it shows that this is a coaching staff that gets to see him every day that we don't like we don't. And they trust that if we throw all this stuff at him, let's see what sticks. Let's see what what he can handle. And I really feel like not seeing scrimmage or anything that this is a guy that's going to be quickly in the conversation of how do we get him on the field? How do we find a way to move the pieces around to find our best 11 and, and get him on the field? Because, I mean, he, he's just made plays. And he talked about the speed of the game in spring and at the spring game didn't bother him because he was used to it at Texas high school football. He's talked about how mentally he had a pretty complex scheme at Denton Geyer, and so it's not foreign to him and, and how he's just trying to he, – he started to talk about nuances of like, okay, now that I know that this is where I'm supposed to be, I can check the quarterback's eyes and check this round underneath and jump it and stuff like that. And that's stuff that you're used to like juniors talking about, not true freshmen that haven't had a single actual live snap of college football. Okay, so the way I read your statement just now, you're calling Woody Washington at one corner and Peyton Bowen starting at the other. <laughs> uh, Peyton Bowen starting defensive end at Oklahoma. Got to get him on the field no matter what. Free technique. There you go. <laughs> Good stuff. Uh, coming up next, we had some big news on the OU beat that came down this week. Multiple sports. Yeah, I called it a Tuesday news dump. You guys have heard of the Friday news dump. Yesterday we had a Tuesday news dump. We'll discuss next on the All Sooners podcast. On Twitter, follow all underscore Sooners while you can find me at John E. Hoover. Ryan is at underscore Ryan Chapman. You can find Ross Lovelace at Ross Lovelace. And Randall is at Randall Sweet 5. His name is Randall Sweet. Okay. He does some sweet work and he loves doing some sweet writing on on recruiting. But his last name is actually Sweet. S-W-E-E-T. Randall Sweet 5. Follow him for all the recruiting news. The website, of course, is allsooners.com. We are a Fan Nation affiliate, part of the Sports Illustrated Network. All Sooners is, as I've told you before, free. No signups, no emails, no passwords, no credit cards. It's all free at All Sooners. Segment number two, Ryan, uh, let's go back to the end of last week. The non-conference schedule is set for 2024. Finally, Joe Castiglione cast his lines in the water and reeled in one big fish and one big main black bear. How about that? Big time uh, to get the black bears coming to Norman, obviously. Awesome. That's the headliner there. I'm stoked. Um, also, if you noticed, that was a, a kickoff TBD. So yep. welcome to Cupcake Week, Oklahoma. Right. You're truly an SEC school now. They're uh, that bad boy in November on Cupcake Week. That's right. Make it happen. We get we get to two bye weeks. Uh, kidding. I'm kidding. Um, but no, Houston getting on the schedule in 2024, the return trip in 2028. Um, I don't know if we need to do all the background catch up, but obviously eight conference games in the SEC left Oklahoma two holes to fill with the SEC. One of them has to be a power five school, I guess a power four school. And that left very, very limited options. Uh, like a trip to Seattle, maybe if Washington wanted to load up a ton of uh Power five games. Well, guess what? Washington's moved to the Big Ten, throws a big monkey wrench into that. So you were looking at like Rutgers or Northwestern. Here's a common thing with both of those schools. If you haven't seen, the Big Ten is banding around a 10-game schedule, potentially conference-wise. So neither of those schools probably were even going to answer a phone call from a Power Five school until you figured out how many Power Five games, how many conference games are we playing. So that left like Houston. And so that's huge for Oklahoma, not just because it's a game that has regional ties, right? State of Texas. 
a game that historically has only been played what five times, four or five times, oddly enough. But there's some recent history. 2016, the Sooners head down, lose that one. 2019, Jalen Hurts, the debut, the red spat tape. Oh, the humanity. Uh, all all of that. For uh, red spat tape, but he had like 600 yards and five touchdowns. But yeah, well, he wore red spats. <laughs> on, a Sunday, on a Sunday night football, and then he got some work in in the gym. Shout out yes, to that. So, that's right. Yeah, so it was the birth of that. So I, as far as scheduling on the fly, I, it's as good as you can get. Good, good. you know, hat tip to Joe Siglione for even making this thing happen. That return trip in 2028, huge for recruiting, have some footprint in the Houston area. That never hurts. So if you get tied to home-and-homes in back-to-back seasons, Oklahoma was in a bind, get a home-and-home with SMU, a respectable program in the DFW area. That's something you can cash in on, recruit on a home and home with Houston. You can cash in recruit on that. I mean, I don't know what else you could have asked for considering the minefield that was kind of handed to Joe Castiglione to try and schedule a couple of games there. He, Joe C has a gift when it comes to scheduling. Um, He's really good at it. He's really persistent. And when he gets handed a plate full of crap, like you don't know how many non-conference games you, you need but one of them has to be power five and your others are Tulane. And who's the other one? Temple. Uh, you're sitting there with literally with a plate full of crap. And the, it's like the, the Gordon Ramsay show where they give you a bunch of junk to cook with and you're supposed to cook something up. And he just, he gets out his fillet knife and starts cutting stuff up and putting pieces here and there. And the next thing you know, you've got a really tasty dish of Houston at home with a return game in 2028 and Maine is weird. Maine is a one double A. I'll give you guys a little personal aside. Uh, my daughter, as many of you know, went to grad school in Maine, um, got her master's, was a great success being there. She's back home now, so we have no reason to go back to Maine. So the home at home that I was hoping for <laughs> is uh, is off the table. Sooners are not going back to FCS Maine, although the Black Bears, golly, they get to play somebody called the Black Bears. and it's, it's Never played them before. That's going to be awesome. Yeah, should should be like I mean, as far as like FCS Cupcake Week, I'm never going to label that as fun, but at least it's it's not like, hey, you're bringing in um, Southeast Missouri State, or you know, yeah. you know what I mean. Like it's if you're going to do the Cupcake Week, make it new, make it something we haven't seen before. Really globe trot around the country. There's a lot of FCS schools. You don't have to get stuck with the regional ones, right? The same ones, the same five or six every twenty years. I'm tired of playing these same schools. Uh, when I, I'll say this, when I saw the press release and I saw the bear, the first thing I thought was, they're playing Missouri State again? That's just lazy. Well, Joe Castiglione's not lazy. He went out and got Maine. I wonder what the uh, hour drive from here. I hope they don't the, us. the phone call was of like, hey, Oklahoma wants us to come play football. What? Yeah. How great is that? Little little closer to home, little, not that much, but a little closer to home, still in the Eastern time zone, Cincinnati. The kickoff for Cincinnati has been revealed. I won't say announced because we didn't hear it from OU. We didn't hear it from the Big 12. We didn't hear it from the networks. We heard it from Brett McMurphy. Came out and said that uh, it's going to be the big noon kickoff for when the Sooners open the schedule, the Big 12 schedule, and that'll be September 23rd at Nippert Stadium in Cincinnati. Big noon kickoff on the East Coast time means what? 11 a.m. Central time. Here we go again, Ryan. Uh, I don't have a problem with 11 a.m. kickoffs on the road. 
you know, uh, and Oklahoma couldn't care less. They're out there recruiting to get some home faster, all that good stuff. I should say they're not out there recruiting like they would be for a home game. So you like Cincinnati at 11 a.m.? Um, I know the Big 12 was planning on that uh, homecoming week or whatever it is that they're doing where they're trying to get as many uh, home teams uh, to have a big college football celebration and party down. And it's not going to be that. It's going to be an 11 a.m. kickoff at Nippert. So I think Oklahoma gets a little bit of a break here. Yeah, and that's going to be a, a fun atmosphere regardless of all the questions surrounding Cincinnati because it's their first Big 12 game. It's their first game in the new conference, and you get to open it up at home, and you get to open up at home against one of the two biggest brands, not just in the conference, but one of the biggest brands in the sport. That's what the Big 12 is losing. There will be no Oklahomas or Texas to chuck tickets like this uh, when the new Big 12, which is very secure, is going to be undergoing the, their new season in 2024. And so – yeah, if you're an Oklahoma fan, I think it's one of those things that 11 a.m. kickoffs, roll your eyes, but if it's a road game, cool. You're, you're rolling up. You're, you're getting with together with your friends for the watch party anyway. Um, if you're traveling to Cincinnati, then, yeah, that'll nerf the atmosphere in the stadium a little bit, but uh, you get to get in and out and, and be well-rested and hit that Sunday flight out early. So uh, as far as that goes, I don't think it's as big a to-do, and – it's big noon, all that stuff. That just means if you're Oklahoma, you're hoping that means later on in the season that, hey, you always want to be on big noon in a way because it means that you're a big-time game, and, and that means that Oklahoma is usually playing really well. But if you expend a couple of those big noons on the road games, then uh, you can try and clear out for some night games at home, hopefully. That's right. Hopefully that works out. Uh, I'll give you guys this. If you're going to the game, I've been to Cincinnati mm, for business, for games and sports and stuff four or five times. Um, it's an older city. Okay, and that means there's lots of good restaurants, lots of really good. A lot of East Coasters have re, relocated to uh, southeastern Ohio or south central Ohio, and opened up their business, their family business. And there's a lot of really good, like Italian restaurants in the downtown area. Uh, we're gonna go to one, Ryan. Me, you, and Randall are gonna go to the my favorite. Um, it's got a little history to it. I'll tell you all about it later. I'm not gonna tell you before the pot before the game because I don't want to have to wait an hour for seats while all the Sooner fans are going to all the places that I've told them to go. So we'll give you guys the uh, the goods when we get back on uh, where we chose to eat. But uh, speaking of eating at football games, Ryan, the other topic that came down yesterday, holy cow, OU has announced changes to the 2023 tailgating parties. Your partner, Eddie, got it done. <laughs> they made Lindsay Street great again. And uh, they've opened up the the little grass, the little strip of grass between the curb and the sidewalk, <laughs> where you can uh, where you can tailgate. That's that's awesome. Hey, it as silly as it sounds that we keep talking about this. This has been something that the fans it's resonated with them in a negative way up until this announcement, right? The the prior policies and Joe Siglione has addressed it multiple times of they're, they're looking at sec game day atmospheres and trying to find the way that Oklahoma can show off Norman and, and their atmosphere in the best possible way. I'd been curious. It sounded like there were some different um, things suggested, like maybe trying to convert the duck pond area into Oklahoma's own little mini grove type thing. But the fact of the matter is, when it comes to tailgating, much like everything in college football, why are the same people good historically? Location, location, location. Where's the best tailgates? 
the closer you can get to the stadium, location, location, location. To have that game day atmosphere, you want to be walking by tailgates to, to get to the state. That that's how that happens. That's how you get everybody congregating. So you got, you know, the party at the palace on the north side of the stadium, tailgating on the south side of the stadium. Uh, the only unfortunate part is that there's been a hiccup in the timeline of tailgating so like it's not like people have had those lindsey street tailgates for 15 years because there hasn't been anything there for the last yeah. uh you know little bit of time so it better late than never it's like oklahoma gets a little soft opening the fans get one season one last big 12 season to figure life back out on lindsey street to put the best foot forward when you welcome in south carolina tennessee and alabama in uh 2024 so the times have changed that you can set up Okay, Uh, from previous years, the times are different this year. You can start, not including Lindsay Street, it says, you can start setting up at 5 p.m. the day before a home football game. So Friday, 5 p.m. Space may be occupied beginning at noon, but stakes may not go into the ground (laughs) until 5 p.m. It says, out of respect for students who reside on campus, fans setting up tailgate equipment at the Lindsay Street designated area. Okay, so this is the new Lindsay Street tailgate spot. They will begin to allow them to set up at 7 a.m. on the day of a home football game. So you better hustle down there. God, can you imagine the the rush, the traffic, uh, especially for like an 11 a.m. game? 7 a.m., ding, (laughs) bells go off, and everybody starts running with their stakes and their hammers and their their generators and their grills. John, that's Oklahoma Heritage, waiting for a certain point of time to rush to (laughs) stake down your own land. Uh, it doesn't get it literally doesn't get more Oklahoma than that. That is true. Uh, they will not be shooting off shotguns, although the Roughnecks will. It'll be after the stuff is uh, allowed. Anyway, uh, that's exciting. I guess, Ryan, uh, you kind of grew up in Norman, in and around Norman, going to various sporting events. Do you have any tailgate stories for us? Uh, not a ton of like tailgating memories as far as like having one lockdown tailgate or anything like that, but. Uh, I do remember like Lindsay being a huge part of my family parked on the Reeves Park side of of things uh, to go to anything as youths. And so that was like when when Joe Siglione in Oklahoma redid the stadium, he talked about having a front door almost to Gaylord Family Memorial Stadium. That was something that made a ton of sense to me because that's how I always encountered the the stadium that the game day scene was coming from that south side it's a very popular spot with the lloyd noble center parking all that and so it may seem silly like a ten thousand foot view for people that aren't normal game dayers or or like other fan bases or whatever but i I do think it will actually legitimately bring some extra juice to the atmosphere coming up because you've got all that stuff like i said on the north side of the stadium that's where you know the franchise sets up that's where the party at the palace all the fan stuff any alumni stuff it feels like it's happening in that kind of um, walkway, open air area between Price and, and over at that stuff. And then you can have fans roll in on the south side because previously it was there are a couple fraternity tailgates that are farther south than Lindsay, but otherwise you're just walking through parking garages and, and the new housing colleges. So I, I do think it'll be big because, uh, again, that's the side of the stadium I always walk up. It's weird working where, where we park. We park on the north side of the stadium, and I'm like, I, this is foreign to me. The only time I've ever approached the stadium from the north side is for work. Yeah. Yeah, that's fun. And I love that. Uh, the, the, it was mid-2000s, I think, they opened up that uh, pregame festival that, you know, food trucks and all that stuff, the, the games and stuff. 
I love that. That's that's big time. But um, OU comes back. OU had a team of people, scouts, go out to some SEC games and see what they're doing, and they came back and they're like, "This is nice. We need nicer. We need more. We need bigger. We need better." So that's uh, that's one of the things that uh, that this is. Uh, I saw a quote uh, from Joe Stiglione, I think yesterday. It might have been from someone else, but I think it was from Joe C. Who said this is just the beginning? He's, he said we're gonna we're focused on 2023, but wait till you see what's coming in 2024. So more stuff coming down the road, hopefully. Anyway, let's finish up with segment with this, Ryan. Um, I'll just say it this way: you you sent me the text, I wrote the story from uh, from the Ocali, from what the Ocali printed, the Daily Ocallegian, the OSU student newspaper today. I'll just Say it like this and let you go. Kenny G. He has spoken. The content <laughs> machine continues to hum in Stillwater. Uh, if you haven't seen it by now, then uh, I guess some OU hacks have not written it up and spread it around far enough for you. But, uh, yeah, Kenny Gajewski, Oklahoma State softball, had, had an event in Oklahoma City where he finally got to speak publicly about the Kelly Maxwell transfer. And – uh, basically, the message at the end was like Oklahoma State's benefited from the transfer portal a ton. That's something that he pumps up. It's going to bite him. But off the top rope, can a guy ask you, she's like, look, as long as I'm here at Oklahoma State, Kelly Maxwell is not going to be welcome because she opted to go to Oklahoma, which, again, I think it speaks a lot to why once the news had kind of broke, I, I think that's why you didn't ever see an official statement from Kelly Maxwell. I think everyone was aware of – the backlash from the moment that Kelly Maxwell entered the transfer portal at like Oklahoma or A&M probably were the, the early front runners. And you knew it was going to be a tire fire. If Kelly Maxwell went to Oklahoma, guess what? Yeah. Kelly Maxwell picked Oklahoma. And it's, I think that it's not a, a huge stunning revelation. Cause I think that Kelly Maxwell knew this probably like that was probably priced into her decision. Kenny Gajewski, this is not a shot. This is not good, bad weather. Kenny Gaskey's a really emotional guy. That was a whole storyline last year while, while Oklahoma State was struggling in that kind of middle third of the season. He was saying, I'm trying to stay even keel. He realized that was actually a negative, that the team kind of feeds off the highs and lows of Kenny Gaskey, and, and it's been incredibly successful in Stillwater. And so when you've got a guy like that as your head coach, I think everyone kind of knew the score if Kelly Maxwell made this decision, and Kelly Maxwell made it anyway. So I'll be really interested to talk to her when we finally get that opportunity sounds like at the minimum until school starts until we can really start making some ground on getting those softball transfers fingers crossed university of oklahoma please the want is there we can show you the numbers but um yeah i think that that's something that kelly maxwell is probably not too worried about because if oklahoma wins the fourth straight national championship she's going to be on a wall in love's field for the rest of her life (laughs) and i think that she'll be content with that that's a good call uh kenny's um official statement was my only disappointment. Actually, it's not an official statement. His reply in the moment at a at an OSU fundraiser, an OSU pep rally, for lack of a better word. One of the it's called a night with OSU. They it's like the Sooner Caravan. They go around the state, whatever. He said, "My only disappointment for Kelly is that she went to OU because now she's lost everything that she's ever done, everything here that she's ever done. Uh, as long as I'm here, it'll be hard for her to come back here. That's just the way it is." So here's my here's my thinking on that. This is an OSU event. 
he is an OSU coach. He's got a lot of pride. He's, like you said, an emotional coach. He's playing to the crowd. He's playing to his audience. He's telling them kind of what they want to hear. And you you just know that after he said that, there was probably a lot of, yeah, coach, good job. There was probably some of that. If that's really your worldview, though, I mean, I get that you're playing to the crowd and, you know, you're going to get applause and you're going to stand up and cheer for the, the good old alma mater, right, so to speak, except it's not in his case. Uh, it's his employer. It's a little bit of a little bit of a myopic view, a little bit of a, a immature view, in my opinion, in my opinion, which, again, I'm entitled to. If you have a reunion of the best Oklahoma State team in history 10 years from now, she's not welcome back. The best pitcher on the team is not welcome back. I mean, that's it's kind of childish. It's a little bit a little bit on the childish end. But again, I get it. It's an OSU event. He's a competitive guy. He didn't want to lose her to OU. Kenny Gajewski, you have been back to OU for events to celebrate the national championship that you won in baseball. And you wouldn't let Kelly Maxwell come back to do the same thing in softball. I'm not sure I entirely buy what he's saying right there. I think he probably, I think if she called him and said, coach, can't wait to see you this weekend at the reunion of the 10th anniversary or whatever. I think he would let her come back. I really think he would let her come back. So maybe he was more playing to the crowd than he was his own emotions right there. Well, and I've done some kind of background kicking the tires, sourcing stuff like that. Let me see how I want to say this. Um, Carrie Eberly is the new pitching coach at Oklahoma State. Kenny Gajewski knew if he hired Carrie Eberly, there is a good chance Kelly Maxwell was going to enter the transfer portal. I can tell you that. Um, once you enter the transfer portal, anyone can call you. And knowing that that uh, Kelly Maxwell is from the kind of the Galveston area, stuff like that, someone that I believe really enjoys this area of the country. And Patty Gasso has always waxed poetic about the competitor that Kelly Maxwell is. I was talking with Chris Plank and he found a audio clip from his pregame interviews that, that he does with Patty Gasso for um, Learfield and all that stuff. And there was almost a 60 second clip of Patty Gasso previewing facing Kelly Maxwell in this year's Bedlam matchup where she was just like, I love the fight. I love the competitor that she is. She's incredible. We've got a couple of plans, but she's that good. Let's see how it goes. All that stuff. It's been known that, that Oklahoma's staff was an admirer of Kelly Maxwell and Kenny Gajewski made a program higher in his view. The long-term effect of hiring Carrie Eberly will be greater than potentially for one season, losing the services of Kelly Maxwell and knowing that she can hit the portal. So rally the troops, all that stuff. I've never had any problem with that, especially like you mentioned the setting. It's not like this was a Bedlam press conference, yeah. just reporters where he's just taking shots left, right at a former play. That, that was not the setting, any of that. No issue with it. But I think everyone knew the possibilities and everyone made their choices anyway. And I don't have a ton of sympathy for any coach in that situation because you knew. You, you knew that Kelly Baxter wanted to work with an experienced pitching coach. And you went the opposite. And that doesn't mean that hiring Carrie Everly was the wrong thing to do. It just means that you have to live with the short-term consequences, which were Kelly Maxwell entering the transfer portal. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Patty's statements before the game talking about Kelly Maxwell. Nothing dirty or illegal or under the carpet about that, but that is how you recruit the transfer portal. You go out and you say these amazing, and there's nothing untrue about what she said, but you go out and you say these amazing things and these flowery praise and all this, all this good stuff about this pitcher. And then that pitcher, when the time comes, if the time comes, they enter the transfer portal, they remember those things that you said about them and what you think about them. And what it's just, I mean, Patty is completely genuine when she's doing stuff like that. She probably was making those comments from her heart, not to recruit, not to, Ooh, if she ever gets in the transfer portal, I have to say something nice about her, but that's how you operate. That's how you go about your business to in my estimation, do that as many times as possible. It can only come back good on you. And that's what's happened in this case. Uh, she, wow. uh, she went out of her way to talk good about Kelly Maxwell and express her feelings about what she thought about her as a pitcher, as a competitor. And look at what the net result is. She decided to play her final season for Patty Gasso. That's how it's done. And it, it doesn't mean that Patty Gasso is not fiery. I mean, you should have being around the team in spots where it's off the record stuff right after the game, waiting for press conferences, stuff like that. Uh, Patty Gasso took Oklahoma State soul in a team talk in a huddle, not publicly, not to anyone else, talking just to her team. She's as fiery and as competitive as it gets. Yeah. And then she steps away and in the press conference setting. She's just very excited, all that stuff. It's just the difference of a coach that's at the start of a, a long, really successful run and a coach that's at the end of it, I, I think. It's harder to, to kind of play the underdog card when you're Oklahoma. So you do that with your team and you just kind of acknowledge everything else. And again, doesn't make anything right, wrong, or otherwise. It's just different styles, different coaches. Uh, but somehow it, it fits each program kind of like a glove, the way that they both operate. Yep. Good stuff, Ryan. Appreciate you, man. Of course. Uh, I'm going to go take a nap now. All right. Ryan's on the morning show. I don't know if you guys heard. Last lost it. Lost his three. He dropped, what should I say? Dropped his three to six show for a four to, you get up at four in the morning now and you're on air from six to 10. Yeah. Added an extra hour. Get up Woo! at four 30. Scout the dog has not lodged any complaints quite yet, but uh, we'll, we'll see week two if she's still stoked about wait, we're supposed to be sleeping right now and you want me to go on a walk? Why? Oh, because you're going to be gone for the next four hours. I see. And he's partnering with Eddie. So you guys need to get, need to get up in the morning and check that show out. It's pretty good. I, I've enjoyed it a couple of times that uh, I've driven in <laughs> to Norman early in the morning from Tulsa. We will, uh, we will chat soon, Ryan. Thanks. See ya. Good luck with Randall. Can't wait to hear about all the Williams-Winary uh, juice. He's, he's got some takes. Coming up next, it's Randall. He's going to join us to talk OU recruiting. And, uh, yeah, he did talk to Williams Winery. He's got some insights that he's going to share only on the All Sooners podcast. All right, final segment of the All Sooners podcast, as you guys know by now. If you like the podcast, go ahead and like it. Drop us a nice rating. Five stars helps. Uh, like us and share us on social media. That's extremely helpful if you could get the word out on the All Sooners podcast. Guys, we're on episode 200. And we're still getting the word out that we're out here. So uh, help us out. Share that stuff on social media. Tell everybody how great the podcast was. If it's not great, lie. We don't care. Uh, and, of course, if you're watching on YouTube, please like and subscribe. Leave us a comment, and we will fire you back one. Segment three is usually about recruiting, and that is what the topic of the day is today. Oh, my gosh. 
Randall went to Kansas City, went to Lee Summit, Missouri, um, rode with my man Parker from twenty from uh, Rivals. Sorry, and uh, I mean the, the change around has still got me all twisted up, but uh, we're catching up. Yeah, so uh, he rode with Parker. Uh, everything went well, except for OU fans did not get Will Will Moneri, the top defensive end edge rusher in the country. Chose Missouri. He's going to stay home. Randall was there. Describe what you saw. Give us the report. Yeah, so we we got there pretty early in the day. Um, you know, when Parker and I got there, it was me, Parker, and Jamar Mazee, which is Lisa North's head coach and former OU running back. Uh, all three of us just in the gym. Uh, we talked to uh, Coach Mazee for a little bit. It was good to to kind of you know hear from him and hear what he had to say. Um, you know, a few hours before the ceremony, um, Will walked in and just kind of looked looked around. Um, I asked him, you know, how he was feeling. You know, what what was going through his head, and all he all he said was that he was excited. Um, now he he is a pretty reserved kid uh, in general, I think, but um, you know, he didn't really have much else to say other than that he was excited. But he didn't seem uh, stressed. He didn't seem um, I, I don't know. He seemed he seemed like a, like pretty normal and and even keel at the time. Um, you know, when the decision came, he didn't really have, you know, much to say. Uh, it was actually being live broadcasted on ESPN. So we were watching we were watching him live. And then about 40 seconds later on, they had the ESPN stream up. So we would see what he just said to us on the ESPN stream, which was kind of funny. Um, but when, you know, when his teammates, when uh, the crowd started to get there, it was kind of this overwhelming feeling of, okay, Maybe even though he hasn't announced yet, we know what the decision is going to be. Um, I didn't see a single. The only person I saw wearing OU clothing was Kamori Moore, who's committed to OU in the 2025 class. That's Will and Nary's teammate. Um, yeah, I talked to him for a little bit, and uh, you know, obviously, he's just happy for his teammate to you know make his decision and do what's best for him. But uh, everyone else I saw in the entire building that was wearing a college-affiliated shirt was wearing Missouri clothes when we walked in. Now, again, we were close to, to not too far off from Columbia. We're in Missouri, so that might be a given there. But um, at that point, that's when I started kind of realized maybe maybe we know what was going to happen. Um, a few minutes later, he did announce that it was Missouri. Um, and he didn't really have much to say afterwards, uh, at least not to, to the reporters when we went together around. He, he talked um, to the ESPN uh, anchor. I don't I, apologize i don't remember who it was but he talks to the espn anchor on a zoom call um for a little bit but uh only about five minutes and then that was really it he didn't um didn't have much to say after that you know um coach mazee kind of talked to some uh some reporters and said that will had been silently committed to missouri for a few weeks which um you know was uh was a bit shocking it, it seemed like uh seemed like OU really thought that that they were still 50 50 with uh missouri um, and you know, that, that still might be the case. Uh, again, no, nothing's over till pen hits paper on national signing day. Um, but it seems like, um, from what we, what we were told that, um, the proximity to home and, um, you know, his family really played into a lot of that decision to not, not end up in Norman. And I, I don't mean that in a negative way at all. That's, um, you know, every, everyone makes their decision based off of what's important to them. Not mentioning for that, I'm just reporting on what we were told um, was kind of some of the reasoning for that decision. Um, now, Will himself 
didn't necessarily say that to reporters. Um, so, you know, it would be interesting to, to hear from him himself, but uh, we didn't get the opportunity, unfortunately, uh, to talk to Will. Um, so it's a big blow for OU, of course. This was someone who seemed to have a really good relationship with the coaching staff here. I think you've mentioned he's been to Norman tons of times. I mean, one of his teammates is committed to OU. His head coach played for OU. Um, another one of his teammates, Isaiah Mazie, Jamar's son, is a, a you know a big time OU target in the 2025 class that they're really working hard to get. Um, so, again, huge blow. But I know that I'm sure that OU is not uh, not done working on Will and Winari. I'm sure they're still picking up the phone and um, until. He actually signs the letter of intent on signing day. I'm sure OU is going to be doing everything they can to uh, to get him in the building. But another thing that was interesting was that he also noted that he picked Missouri over Georgia. Um, yeah. And it, it seemed like uh, from everything that we'd heard that OU and Missouri were really the, the two schools that were leading the way. Um, and in the end, it seemed like Missouri was kind of up in uh, first place all on their own. Uh, with Georgia and Oklahoma being two and three from what we were told by uh, Will and his coach. So what does that mean, Randall, in terms of his relationship with OU coaches? Uh, what OU coaches had built uh, all the times that they've had him in on campus, all the times they visited him, all the times they've talked and texted and tweeted at each other. And what does that mean if Georgia – I mean, listen, we're talking about Georgia, two-time defending national champ, number one program in the country right now by a lot. So you could see Georgia slipping in front of somebody like Oklahoma. But for OU to go into that day, Monday, thinking, well, at worst, we'll be number two behind, you know, if he picks Missouri, it'll be because of their home state. We'll, at least we'll have been in there. They weren't even in there. They weren't even like the little hat game or whatever, right? Um, just what, what does that mean for his – the way things did, did, did deteriorate? Did he pull the plug on their relationship sooner than they thought he did? What do you think that means? Uh, I think I think maybe uh, the latter, there might be some truth to the latter, um, that, that OU just kind of thought that they were in a place that maybe they weren't with him. Uh, maybe they misread that. And, you know, there, there's, there's no, um, nothing saying that um, he didn't still have a good relationship with OU, but, you know, maybe Georgia called at the last second and said, hey, and, you know, offered a different type of pitch than they have before. You know, it, again, without talking to him, it's hard to really know, um, you know, what happened there in the end. But I think that um, I still think that, again, OU is not going to stop, uh, you know, trying here. Uh, I think that he still has a really good relationship with the coaches. I think that, um, you know, Jamar Mazi obviously still has a really good relationship with the OU coaching staff. Uh, you know, he told us, he told Parker and I that, um, you know, uh, he has talked with Will and his family. He's talked with the OU coaches and things like that. Um, and so I would assume that, you know, the relationship that uh, that Will, that Jamar have with each other, that they both have with the Sooners coaching staff, that that's not just going to go away. Um, and again, other recruits, other coaches around the country, uh, well, not around the country, but other coaches and recruits I've talked to in Oklahoma and in Texas have all said that, OU staff is great at building those relationships, maintaining those relationships. Uh -huh. So even if right now, um, or even if on, you know, his actual commitment date, uh, he says OU wasn't number two, I still think that that doesn't mean they're out of the picture. Um, yeah. You know, I like, like I keep saying, pen hits paper on signing day, that's when, that's when OU is probably going to maybe 
realize that they're out the picture. But until then, I think that they're going to do everything they can. I think they're going to be right in the mix. I think they still are. Yeah, unlike OU's recruitment with Zadavian Sims when he pulled the rug out from under him and went to Oregon or committed to Oregon, OU said, we're done. We don't want to hear from you anymore. Uh, That relationship has been severed. That bridge has been burned. Um, And that's what this one kind of reminds me, that that it sounds like OU is going to continue to push and continue to, to... What's interesting in this... And we'll, we'll continue this conversation with a bunch of different names coming up. But what's interesting to me about this particular recruitment is September 1st is the day that the new law in Missouri goes into effect. The governor just signed it into, into law that student athletes, if they sign with their in-state school in Missouri, uh, they can begin receiving NIL benefits, NIL money, endorsement deals, whatever. They can start arranging those things assuming that they just work out a, a grant and aid, right, with the school, not a not an athletic scholarship per se, but September 1st of their high school senior year, he can start getting paid if he commits to Missouri on September 1st. That's three months before signing day, three and a half, three, December 20th. So what was that, three, September, October, November, and then almost four months. So there's a, there, this thing is, I don't think it's dead. I don't think it's done. I think it's still squirming. And and from what I was told, the the NIL offerings that Missouri had played a huge part in this recruitment. Um, and uh, I mean, that's not not to say anything bad about Missouri. Not to say anything bad about anyone who chooses. Uh, you know, that that's it. Like you said, it's completely legal. It's under their law. It's NCAA has okayed this. So. You know, that's the game that's recruiting now. Um, there's, there, I'm not, there's nothing wrong with that, but from everything I was told, it does seem like NIL in addition to the proximity to home played a huge decision, a huge role in his decision, which you can't blame a 17 year old kid for at all. I mean, it's, I would be remiss to say that if I was a 17 year old kid offered a large sum of NIL money, high six figures is what we've heard. To stay close to home, I, I mean, I would probably t- accept that too, you know. Um, yeah. And so, but the but- crazy thing is, the way I understand it, he could take that money and spend it, and then sign with somebody else on December twentieth. And and you you kind of have to wonder if that might come into play. I, I don't know. Um, that that would be very unprecedented because, like you said, this is yeah. this is a new, new. a new law um, and. I think Missouri's governor, uh, whenever the government, sorry, not governor, was, when it was signed into effect, I think they had uh, aiding the college football teams in the state in mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, undoubtedly, they did. Um, and, you know, it's helped Missouri so far. They have also got really lucky in the fact that they've just had an unbelievable crop of talent in their state in the past few years. I mean, you think Caden Green, you think P.J. Adabari, you think um, Isaiah Mazzee, you think Ryan Wingo, you think Luther Burden, you think now uh, Will and Winery. I mean, these are big time five star talented players that are all in the state of Missouri. And with that NIL uh, law, it really is going to help the University of Missouri grab some of those players, at least until it bites them that first time, like you mentioned, where they, um, you know, they learn the hard way that they could pay a guy out for a few months and then he takes those checks and deposits them in a bank in Norman or Athens or elsewhere, you know? Who knows, yeah. Uh, NIL has is, uh, is changed the way this sport works. It's changed yeah. the foundation of this sport, and, and we're finding out now what some of those consequences are. 
and uh, people who are in, who make a living off of college football are having to deal with those consequences. They're having to find out themselves. Another thing this reminded me of, Randall, is I don't know if you watched it yourself, but last year when OU was about to land David Hicks and he was that close and yep. they woke up, OU coaches woke up that morning partying because it was they were high-fiving. They were just like, yeah, David Hicks, he's, he's coming. And David Hicks was telling them, I'm coming, coming to OU. Then when he signs at a signing ceremony, he picks A&M. David Hicks's face was somber and solid, right? Meanwhile, his mom and dad are just like, this is awesome. This is fantastic. Now, I'm not indicting anybody here. I'm just saying what the perception is. I saw some of that happen with Will Winery. That yeah. kid's face was very somber, very solemn, very serious. Yeah. And his mom and dad were all smiles. Mom and dad should be all smiles when some, when a decision Again, you're talking to the dad of a, of a former college athlete. When she committed, when she signed, we were all smiles. There was no NIL involved, of course. <laughs> but what I'm saying is, of course, you're proud of your kid, and you should be. Yeah. But it just looked like the mom and dad in both both situations were much, much happier about the kid's choice than the kid himself. Yeah, I, I think that you're absolutely right. And I think that there might even be a little bit – I don't necessarily know if he was telling OU, hey, I'm coming – I think there was definitely some, he was telling OU, like, he. I don't think he gave them any indication that it wasn't OU. At least yeah. from what I gather, there was no indication that it wasn't OU. Um, and so I think that kind of left OU, again, like, like we've said before, kind of at the altar, thinking like, okay, we thought we were in a good position here. Now it turns out we're in third place. Um, not only are we not the commitment, which we thought we would get, but we're not even, according to him, number two. Uh, and it's been apparently this way for a few weeks if he was silently committed to Missouri a few weeks ago. Right. Um, so uh, it, it's it's interesting. And I think that there's a lot of factors behind the scenes that we don't necessarily know about um, sure. and may not ever know about. But um, I think that there is a lot of similarities to both the Zadavian Sims and the David Hicks um, recruitments and commitments in the fact that um, OU was maybe led astray by, um, you know, and it might have been by a different party in each instance. You know, there's a lot of um, a lot of different factors that go into recruiting when you, you know, consider high school coaches, parents, trainers, teammates, all sorts of things like that. And any of those parties could be leading someone astray. Um, and, you know, it, it, it's uh, it's really tough. And it seems like, you know, maybe in like you said, in the David Hicks recruitment, it was, you know, him telling OU like, hey, I, I'm, I'm planning on being there. And then didn't end up happening whereas with OU it might have you know been um it was they maybe they thought that they still had a, um that they were still in play when maybe they weren't and they didn't realize that they weren't yeah I think he's been out of play for them for a, a few days going into Monday yeah. uh, basically I, everybody was uh, crystal balling him and he got fonged and all this other stuff uh so, so it wasn't a surprise we went into Monday knowing you you took that trip drove drove in the car with Parker knowing that he was probably going to Missouri. So that wasn't the surprise part like David Hicks was. Like we woke up saying Hicks is going to OU and then by the end of the day he's going to AM and you're like, wait, what happened? Different scenario. Another different scenario, but one that stings some OU fans still today is this situation last year. After David Hicks, I think by Job, 
who we've known for the whole time, big defensive end out of, uh, I think he was from the Ardmore area, but eventually got up to Norman. He ends up going to Michigan state. And I don't think there was any surprise that he went to Michigan state, but it's kind of a, just a stinger mm-hmm. that the top player in the state of Oklahoma or an, an edge rusher, a position that you're going to need to compete in the sec. Same with Zadavian Sims, a big defensive lineman, a position you're going to need in the sec to compete. You know, he chooses Oregon. By Job chooses Michigan State. David Hicks, A&M. not a local kid like those guys, but chooses A&M, who you're going to compete against in the SEC. You got Will Winery competing, going to Missouri, who you're going to compete against next year in Columbia in the SEC. The pieces are – it's like sand through Oklahoma coaching staff's fingers. It's like they cannot hold on to these guys. Yep. And and, and it's – it's really interesting how it feels like they're always in the lead until the last yeah. right at the end. Um, like they have trouble. It, it seems like with these top talented defensive linemen, they've had trouble closing. It seems yep. like in the last minute, these Michigan States, Texas A&M's, Oregon's slide in Missouri's slide in and, and, you know, can take this, take these guys that they thought they had for so long right out from under them. Um, and that's something that they're going to need to fix uh, before they get into the SEC, undoubtedly, because you're going to be recruiting against conference opponents all the time for these top players. And, you know, it, it's diff- it's different from the P.J. Adebwari recruitment because he was committed to OU before he shot up the rankings. Right. right? I think, exactly. I think he, was, he was a four star. And when he committed to OU and then his senior year, he just took off, and I think, finished in the top 10, maybe number seven, I think, uh, player in the country. Um, and so, you know, you re- really – for OU, if they want to be able to compete in the SEC, they have to start being able to land and close on some of these highly coveted defensive linemen. And that starts um, this week or next week, 10 days from now. Yep. Who is yep. it? David Stone, IMG David Academy, Stone. local kid, Dell City. I mean, five-star, arguably one of the top two or three defensive tackles in the country. Mm-hmm. Loves OU, wants to go to OU, grew up rooting for OU, has a relationship with OU. He's had good things. Now they got to gotta get him. They got to get him committed, and they got to get him signed. Yeah, and it seems like you know if you look at his comments last week, he talked about Oklahoma and he talked about Miami. He had really good things to say about both of them, um, yeah. which is good, but also worrisome. I mean, he like we've mentioned, I think last week, he's in Florida for this whole high school season. Uh, I would imagine that he's a talented enough player that he's probably going to want to enroll early, uh, wherever he does decide to go. Um, but, you know, that means for OU this last semester, they're going to have to fight off Miami, which is right down the road from where he's at in IMG Academy. Um, I think the rest of his top six was Oregon, Florida, and um, Michigan State, and Texas A&M. Uh, but right now, from what he said recently, publicly, it seems like he, he, his main two uh, options are Oklahoma and Miami. And like you said, this is a guy that you absolutely cannot miss on. Grew up an OU fan, grew up in the Oklahoma City area. I mean, this is one that you can't strike out on. You need these types of players to to get it to you need these types of players to compete in the trenches in the SEC, undoubtedly. And this David Stone is the type of player who could come in and immediately make an impact. He's a program changing defensive lineman. I mean, this he's I think 6'4", 290 already, you know, with Jerry Schmidt, you have to think that he could become a physical beast. I mean, again, from Dell City, best friends of Michael Patterson McDonald, this is one that OU cannot miss on. This would be almost like letting Gerald McCoy out of Oklahoma City back whenever he was coming out of high school. Five-star interior defensive lineman, grew up rooting for the team. That's a guy that you have to keep in state 
uh, even though he's playing at IMG right now. That's a, that's a mouthful, and those are big shoes, Gerald McCoy. But uh, Gerald McCoy was the National Defensive Player of the Year by, I think, Parade Magazine, USA Today. Uh, and they got him because his mom was a big OU fan, and he grew up an OU fan. I mean, that's how this thing works. If you let him get away, good luck. Um, August 26th is his commitment date. I'm sorry, yeah, that's right, his commitment date, August 26th, so 10 days from this recording. Yeah. Uh, it's coming up uh, Saturday of week zero. David yeah. Stone is going to be committing. Um, Dominic McKinley, another five-star defensive tackle out of Louisiana, is committing on September 1st. But, um, Randall, it sounds a lot like he's going to either Texas or LSU. Is that, is that right? That's what I'm, I'm hearing as well, is Texas and LSU are really a two-man battle, it seems like, for him. Uh, I mean, of course, that's what we thought about OU in Missouri with um, – with uh, Will Enwineri and Georgia found a way to sneak in there, so uh, no doubt that OU OU still again same thing with Will Enwineri. They're still picking up the phone and calling and doing everything they can and pushing for him. Um, but right now, it doesn't seem like too uh, too likely that they'll end up getting a commitment from him on September first. But again, recruiting's fluid; things change all the time. Uh, you never really know. It, it's kind of I don't know if the what if ominous is the right word, but. You know, Hayes Fawcett put out that um, that tweet, I think, last week with the picture of Stone and Enwineri and McKinley. And he said, how many of these five yeah. stars will you land? Right now, it looks like at best one out of three. Um, and if right. you're OU, you have to land one of those three. You can't swing and miss on all three. That would be heading into the SEC. That's not good recruiting momentum. You need to pick up blue chip defensive linemen, players in the trenches like that. The pressure's on them to really land David Stone. Uh, Dominic McKinley would be a fantastic addition, but you cannot miss on David Stone. So everything that you need to put into that, you need to put into it. Uh, that is the Friday before the season opener against Arkansas State. Nigel Smith, defensive end out of Melissa, Texas, is going to commit, announce his commitment on the Friday before the SMU game. That's September 8th. He's another one that can come in, I think, and lend an immediate credibility to the to the sooner defensive line if he were to commit to Oklahoma absolutely I mean this this kid I think he's 6'4 6'5 265 pounds already and he is an athlete I mean he I've seen him do some wrestling workouts he moves really really well he bends really well he's super strong I mean this is a kid that that's the SEC type of kid you want um, you know those guys who will get down and dirty in the trenches who, are, who will play physical but who are great athletes too I mean, that's, that's what you need to compete in the SEC. I think he's a top 85, top 80 recruit in the country, depending on what service you're looking at. Um, and right now, from everything I've gathered, it seems like uh, OU is, is really, really in a good spot with him. Um, and again, that's another guy you can't miss on, but it seems like right now OU uh, is in a good spot. Uh, I'll be there in Melissa for week three um, when they play. Um, Oh my God, I can't remember who they play right now, but I'll be there uh, to, to watch his commitment and ask him some questions afterwards. But like you said, again, he can come in and lend an immediate hand. Uh, his dad was actually a basketball player at SMU um, in the 90s maybe, but I don't remember exactly when, but his dad's 6'10", 6'10 center that played at SMU. I think his dad's like 6'10", 290 uh, when, when he was playing college basketball. So you see that and you think, okay, well maybe this kid can grow even more than even bigger than he is right now, regardless, big, athletic, physical, uh, not afraid to, uh, to really uh, get down and dirty in the trenches. And 
yeah, I think he would be a huge, uh, huge impact player early on for OU. I mean, if you if you are able to land him and Stone, that is still a tremendous, tremendous defensive line haul. In addition to the Jaden Jacksons and Wyatt Gilmore's that you already have on the line, but Stone yeah. and Nigel Smith would really, really be the headliners. Uh, yeah. I've talked to uh, I've talked to someone who uh, who knows uh, who's pretty close, uh, and they think that um, they think that OU's got a good chance with Stone and with uh, Nigel Smith. Yeah, uh, again, and I'll I'll preface that with I don't know. But that's what it sounds like. It sounds like OU is uh, in uh, the lead comfortably on both these guys. But I don't know, and neither do you. Right. Neither do any of the listeners or viewers. We just don't know. Uh, And I'll tell you this. Right now, David Stone and Nigel Smith probably don't know. Right. And and I would say say Will and Winnery probably didn't know until, you know, recently either. And that – you know, going back to that. Yep. Yep. Okay. Enough of the angst and the crying and the whining. We got to turn this thing on to a positive. People are getting tired of us saying, why, oh, you didn't get one guy. They did get another guy. They did get one guy, Jaden Nickens, wide receiver out of Oklahoma City, Millwood, coming to OU. When I met him in the spring at a 7v7, right here about five miles from my house, he was out there cutting it up, just tearing people to shreds. Such an impressive athlete. Uh, And then when you talk to him, when you get to meet him and you interview him one-on-one, such an engaging personality. Very charismatic. Uh, Yeah, very charismatic and outgoing. And how are you today, sir? And stuff like that. It's like, whoa, you're a sophomore in high school? Is that for (laughs) real? Uh, But it's true. 2025 wide receiver, four-star, one of the good ones, uh, certainly one of the best in Oklahoma. I think I, this is, again, a huge get for uh, Emmett Jones. I don't think we've sung his praises enough, even though we talk about all the time how good of a, a job he's done on the recruiting trail. Um, so you now have three wide receivers in the 2025 class already, which is very impressive, three four-star wide receivers. Jaden Nickens, I think, is one of the top 120 overall players, one of the top 20 wide receivers in the country, one of the top 15 wide receivers in the country, depending on the service you're looking at. Um, but he could honestly be a guy who rises up those rankings in the next few years, just given how athletic he is. I mean, yep. a guy who's 6'3", 6'4", already, he's just started his junior year of high school, and he can go up and get the ball. He's got great vertical ability. He's really fast. I mean, if you turn on his huddle film, the first few plays are him just running away from everybody. Uh, and for a guy who's 6'3", 6'4", that's really impressive. Uh, he was a basketball player first. He actually played for uh, Drive Nation, which is a really good team on the AAU EYBL circuit. Um, you know, he put up some really, really good games in the EYBL circuit over the summer against um, uh, Paul George's AAU team, which is a stacked team. They've got a, bunch, a lot of good Division One players. I think that Jaden Nickens actually has Auburn, Ole Miss, Oklahoma State basketball offers, not only football, but basketball offers. So this is a guy who is super, super talented in two different sports, a great, great athlete. And you can't, I mean, those big time athletic playmakers on the perimeter, you cannot get enough of those heading into the SEC. I mean, in general, in college football, you can't, but those are the guys you need to, to make plays in the SEC. Those are the guys Jeff Levy has utilized in the past in his offenses, those big outside receivers. And so even though Nickens might maybe not uh, the the biggest in um, you know bulkiest build, but he is tall, he is long, he can go up and get the ball. He plays big, uh, and he he had some really interesting comments after he committed. He um, you know he said that 
he wanted to get Nate Roberts into the class, which is uh, really interesting. He said that he wanted to get David Stone into the class. Um, but what, my favorite thing to hear him say was just how prideful he was about playing for Oklahoma and playing in front of Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. He said that he grew up an OU fan. You know, he kind of showed us some pictures of him as a little kid in, o, in an OU jersey. Um, and, you know, for him to just say, like, yeah, this it means a lot to me to be able to play in front of the state of Oklahoma, in front of the Oklahoma fans. Um, that's something you'd love to hear that helps build and strengthen the culture around the program. And that's something that we didn't necessarily get under the previous administration was them recruiting in state this hard. I mean, would a guy from Shakota, Oklahoma have gotten an offer this early under the previous administration? Uh, there's a good chance it wouldn't have happened, but now they've got him in the class over Alabama, over some other good schools. And I mean, same thing with, with Jaden Nickens. They, got, they made sure they offered him early. They made him a priority. They made these local kids a priority, and it worked out. Yeah. What I like about Jaden Nickens, besides his personality, is he's a state champion in basketball. Yes. He loves basketball, helped lead the Millwood Falcons to another state title. I mean, they're so good at that program. And when you're talking about a wide receiver and the way they see the field and the way they see defenders lined up, you're, mm. picture in your head somebody leading a fast break. Right, somebody dribbling, looking up and seeing. Okay, here we go. We're looking up and we're going to start a fast break. I'm going to pass to this guy, and he's going to pass to that guy. And we got a layup on the other end. That's how they think. And when they're not on a fast break, they're they're looking for their shot or they're looking to get to get into space so they can get a shot. They move without the basketball, right? So this translates. Being a high level basketball player translates to being a high level wide receiver. It's uh, it's amazing how how that correlates. Um, speaking of Nate Roberts. You mentioned him. Uh, Jaden Nickens wants Nate Roberts. It might be happening. It might be happening. He has been committed to Notre Dame. He, this week, decommitted from Notre Dame. Four-star tight end from Washington. 6'5", 240, 6'4", An absolute player. Committed to Notre Dame. And he has decommitted. And it's starting to look like, yes, he might actually at some point commit to OU. Yeah, I mean, this is the number two tight end in all the country from Washington, Oklahoma. Um, yeah. You know, they, it's remarkable that that program has two phenomenal tight ends. Uh, it, I mean, just a small town of about, what, 8,000 people, and they've got yeah. two, two great power five tight ends. Nate Roberts, again, top, top two tight end in the country, depending on the service you're looking at, top 65 player in the nation. It would be a huge, huge addition to that uh, OU 2025 class that already has Kevin Sperry, that already has Grayson Harris, that already has Elijah Thomas, that already has now Jaden Nickens. I mean, those are four, four, four-star skill position players, three of which are from the state of Oklahoma. Uh, add a fourth four-star skill position player also from the state of Oklahoma, and that skill position class is looking like one of the best in the nation early on in that 2025 class. There's no doubt about that if you're able yeah. to get Nate Roberts in there. Um, and I mean, that would just be... For local recruiting, it would go a long way. Uh, I think that it would really mean a lot to – we've talked about it. This OK Preps class of 2025 is really impressive. And if OU is able to to do well in that class, then it would go a long way and help them recruit future OK Preps classes, which the 26th class in OK Preps looks good. And I'm sure it's going to continue to stay that way. So uh, keep in mind, I'm not sitting here making recruiting predictions. I don't cover recruiting like a lot of people do. I don't cover like Randall does. But my guess is Nate Roberts might be interested in learning more about the recruiting opportunities at the University of Oklahoma. We'll see. We'll see how that shakes out. Um, we're, we're ready if he does. We'll put it that way. 
what what I would say is that he's been working out with Elijah Thomas and Kevin Sperry a lot, um, which those guys are in Oklahoma City. He's in Washington. I think it's probably a 45-minute drive. So, yeah. one, it's dedication, uh, and it shows that he's got a close relationship with two guys that are in OU's class already. Uh, and just think about high school kids, 16-year-olds. There's three of them there. Two of them are committed to OU, and one has an offer from OU, and they're working hard on him. You know those two kids are going to be in his ear all the time trying to persuade him especially that's going to go especially a long way from the quarterback who would be throwing to him. Yep. Uh, you know, they're already getting working together right now. It seems like they have a good relationship. So it, it would, it would make a lot of sense for him, like you said, to be interested in the recruiting opportunity presented by Oklahoma. Um, the would, same Kevin Sperry who was at Jaden Nickens commitment. The very same Kevin Sperry. Very same one. And he's done a phenomenal job recruiting all he's good. the class. He's uh he's, he honestly deserves a spot on staff already as a recruiter. He's, uh, he's done a phenomenal job with Elijah Thomas. Jaden Nickens said that he talked with those two. Um, so it seems like, and now all three of them apparently are working on Nate Roberts, you know, according to what Nickens said. He said he wants Nate in that class. So, you know, with three of those talented guys already committed from the OK Prep scene, working on another 2025 kid, have to think that, uh, that it's, uh, if you're an OU fan, it'll be some good news. You have to, ex- you, you would assume at least. You're going to have to make your way to Tulsa pretty soon. A couple of Tulsa kids have OU in their top five, top six. Danny Okoye dropped OU in his top six. And Devon Jordan, cornerback from Union. So Danny Okoye, of course, the edge rusher from NOAA. Uh, but Devon Jordan uh, has OU in his top five. That's good news because those guys are top-tier players in the state of Oklahoma. Again, Brent Venables and his staff trying to throw a rope around the state of Oklahoma, trying to build a wall around the state of Oklahoma, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And these these two are guys that I, I know. I know sometimes people uh, kind of turn their nose up at the local recruits because they don't think sometimes they don't have the biggest offer list. Sometimes they're not, you know, whatever the case may be. Akoya and Jordan both have Alabama offers, committable Alabama offers, and Alabama's in both of their top schools list. I mean, these are guys who have visited Tuscaloosa in the past month. Uh, these are guys that Bama is still working to get right now, as you know, we're speaking. So. If you're able to win a heads-up recruiting battle against, you know, Okoye is looking at Texas, looking at LSU, Alabama. Those are three SEC programs that OU is going to be competing against. If you're able to get a recruit from your backyard, which you should be able to, uh, it's going to go a long way, especially if they don't end up getting Enwinary uh, because Okoye is a very talented edge rusher himself. Um, you know, he's a four-star, really highly rated. That's a guy that, that you would love to get on that 2024 defensive line class. I mean, imagine if you are able to get him, Stone, Nigel Smith, those are three headliners in that defensive line class that could still make it a phenomenal defensive line group, especially in addition to Jaden Jackson and Wyatt Gilmore. With Jordan, he's a long, fast corner. That's the type of guy that you know you want in the SEC. Those guys have long arms that are really fast. They can run, they're physical. He's not afraid to mix it up with some of these receivers. Um, I talked to him at the at the uh, Bixby team camp earlier this summer. He actually had on OU gloves then. I don't know if that means anything, um, but he had on OU gloves that day. Uh, and he said that he's got a really good relationship with the coaches. He said Coach Valai flew down in a private jet to watch him work out. He said that they took him out onto the field at the spring game, and he said that meant a lot to him. So like you said, Oklahoma's doing what they can to throw a rope around Oklahoma, to build relationships with these players, with these coaches in the state and it's going to go a long way to build culture it's going to go a long way if you i mean okoye and jordan will do more than build culture those are talented players who will make an impact for you but again 
having kids from the state who knows what it means to play for OU that grew up OU fans, it's going to build an, a great culture around the program. That's good stuff, Randall. Appreciate you, man. If you guys are still listening to us at this stage of the podcast, it means you like following recruiting. And I told y'all we were going to have some darn good recruiting news, some amazing recruiting news, some good insight from Randall, who was, again, on scene at a lot of these commitments. So, uh, man, good stuff. Keep up the good work. We appreciate it. I appreciate it. I want to add one more thing I forgot to mention about Nickens. This is a guy who's only played football for one year. He played football – the. He played football as a sophomore at Millwood. Uh, before that, the last time he played football was in sixth grade. Yeah, so wow. you look at what he's already been able to accomplish in just one year of playing football. I mean, helped take Millwood to the state championship um, in his first year playing with the team. Uh, you have to love that the potential there because it's only he's only going to improve and get better over these next two years of high school, and especially when he's able to get to OU and learn from some college coaches, you know, collegiate weight room things like that. I mentioned it last week, but I couldn't remember the name of his seven-on-seven team. He plays for a national seven-on-seven team, the Miami Immortals. They put him on a plane, buy him a ticket, fly him out to Miami, and they play around the country. Uh, He's an unbelievable player. I think Sooner fans are going to like this kid a lot. Yep. Thanks, Randall. Thanks, John. Hey, and thank you guys for listening. As always, we will be back next week for the All Sooners podcast. And don't forget, when the season starts, we're going to be doing the postgame podcast as well, so twice a week. You can catch those podcasts and all of our shows on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, iHeart, or anywhere you get your podcasts. If you have an Amazon-enabled device, just say, Alexa, play the All Sooners podcast. We also post that thing on our website, allsooners.com. Just click on the player and listen on your phone, your tablet, or your computer. And, of course, all of our shows are posted on my YouTube channel, John Hoover Media. Simple as that. For Ryan Chapman and Randall Sweet, I'm John Hoover. See you guys.